This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, and I'm your host for today's program. Dr. Fred Shea says, since grace is of of God, we should not only experience his grace, but we also should live within it and give it to others. Last week, we began digging into a new book titled Living by Grace. It's written by seasoned pastors, theologians, missionaries, and ministry leaders that we have opportunity to look at grace in various aspects of our lives. Today, our topic is Practicing Grace in Ministry. And with us to bring insight into the topic is Dr. Charles Bing. Dr. Bing is currently the founder and director of Grace Life Ministries. He has served 25 years in pastoral ministry. He is co-founder of Free Grace Alliance and is a former president of that organization. Dr. Bing has authored several books, including Simply by Grace, Lordship Salvation, Living in the Family of Grace, among others. We hope you'll check out his ministry at gracelife.org. Dr. Bing, welcome to Saving Grace. Well, thank you, Carmen. It's good to be with you today. Oh, so glad to have you. You know, you say that all believers, in a sense, are ministers. So starting with that premise, explain what you see as the prominent idea in the Bible regarding those who minister. Well, when I was asked to write the chapter for the book um, about grace and ministry, I wanted to be sure that we didn't mislead and bifurcate vocational ministry from what I call lay ministry, for lack of a better term. I don't like either term. Uh, (laughs) But when we speak of vocational ministry, we usually are talking about those who are paid or full-time in ministry, and lay ministry is those who are not. Uh, We really should not distinguish them, although there are certain things to be said towards pastors and evangelists and so forth. But I think the point is the point is that what we have in common is that we're all called to serve. And there's no exception there between those who are so-called vocational, so-called lay ministers. And we've each been given a gift to be used in that kind of service. And the scriptures uh, uh, repeatedly speak of. Um, ministry as a gift of grace. Mm. Paul talked about it as a uh, one of the gifts of God that he is able to serve in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a privilege. It's a privilege for both or for everyone, every Christian. Some just do it in different capacity than others. But because it's a gift of grace, that should generate in us a spirit of humility and gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, er- everything starts with God's grace. No doubt about it. And to be good stewards of the gifts that he's given us to serve, right? Yeah. Yes, he, he tells us to be good stewards by using the gifts that he's given us. I think that would be First Peter 4, mm-hmm. verse mm-hmm. 10. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, in the book, Living by Grace, you write that serving others is most effective when it reflects the unconditional love and grace of God through Jesus Christ. You expound on that idea by explaining how God prepares us for one another ministry. How does he prepare us, and and what do you mean when you talk about one another ministries? 
Well, the second question first, one another ministry is simply obeying all the one another commands we have in the New Testament, love one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, um, and so forth. Uh, there's so much ministry that we have towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Each person is obligated to uh, fulfill the one another's of the scriptures. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, now, the first question was, how does God prepare us for that? Well, I think he prepares us by letting us know his own love and mm-hmm. grace when we are first saved, but then showing us that grace and love repeatedly through our own lives. Mm-hmm. The more we experience ourselves, of course, the more we'll be able to share it with others. So um, the greatest preparation is that intimate relationship with God and his and this study or insights from his word that show us how much he loves us mm-hmm. and how his grace is provided for all of our needs. And therefore we're able to um, serve the needs of others without worrying about ourselves, put others first. But that's, that's what agape love is when he says love one another. Yep, agape right. love is unselfishly putting other people's needs before our own and, and uh, making sure that their interests are taken care of. Yes. Yes. And as we go closer to the Lord, uh, and are filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit just sort of overflows to help us, I guess, with those one another ministries, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're spiritual gifts, so yeah. the more we walk in the Spirit, uh, the more we're going to be able to effectively use the gifts He's given us. Absolutely. So they can see Christ in us. It's a beautiful thing. Well, you know, people can be pretty difficult to love. <laughs> I know I'm included in that category. Uh, but, oh, come on now. <laughs> but but I do love that you say loving others means accepting people as they are and seeing them as God sees them in the present moment, but also in the potential future. Uh, lovely way to look at people, obviously. So what is your counsel for loving those who are unlovable? And, and maybe how do we demonstrate grace to those who are living questionable lives uh, or, or unlovable in themselves? Well, that's a good question. Of course, uh, we all know unlovable people, and we've tried to perhaps present the gospel to them, or if they're Christians, just minister to them or tell them about their needs or maybe offer some wisdom or insight into their lives. Uh, and, and they've rejected that and been maybe ugly about it or they're just ugly people to begin with but uh but we have to remember that's the way we all were at one point in life uh unless you were say very young and didn't have a long opportunity to be ugly but i certainly did i had 19 years to be ugly towards god and other people and uh i think what we do is we love them with god's love and when i meet a difficult person that is very difficult to love i ask them to God, for God to love them through me. Mm. And we have to remember that Christ died for the ungodly, for the unlovely. Yeah. And uh, we tend to see people as they are. God sees them for what they could be. Mm. We could we could look at Peter as an example. Yeah. Uh, when he first met Peter, uh, the very first meeting, and Peter did, was trying to figure things out, Andrew introduces him in John chapter 1, and, and he says... Uh, you you were called Simon. From now on, you will be called Cephas, the rock. So Jesus looked at Peter and saw a rock. Peter must have been wondering what in the world he's talking about. <laughs> Peter looked at Paul persecuting Christians and saw the apostle to the Gentiles. 
Mm. Not when Paul, because Paul cleaned up his act and stopped doing what he's doing, he was on the way to do more of it. But yet God interrupted that and uh, gave him a wonderful ministry. So that's why Paul calls it a ministry of grace that was given to him by God. Mm. I love that. And it just shows there's no hopeless cause. God has a great plan for each of us. And so we should look at others as though God's plan has just yet to unfold. And that maybe would help us in showing more grace to the, to the unlovable. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've been too easy to give up on some people, you know, and I say if, when they when they reject my witness or whatever, I say, well, OK, you know, <laughs> you're re you know, that, that's your consequence. But let me let me tell you a really brief story here. Sure, I'm to keep it brief, I'm sure. But um, just two months ago, it was in, it was in December, uh, two and a half months ago, I, I got an email from someone who must have found my website. And they said, um, is this the Charlie Bing I met in 1978? So we're talking 40, you know, it was 43 years ago, yeah. uh, 1940, 1978, and um, who came to visit me in the psychiatric ward. And mm. I said, and, and she told me her name. And I said, yes, it is. I remember that. Her parents, I had met their family as a youth minister, and uh, the parents knew I was a youth minister, but they weren't interested in our church. So when this teenage girl, about 17 years old, tried to commit suicide mm. and ended up in the psych ward. And they asked me, very concerned and worried, to go visit her. And I went and visited her. And the first, you know, I started to share the gospel with her because I know that's the only hope. Yeah. And she just said, I don't want to hear it. I don't believe the Bible. I don't want to hear it. And uh, I kept going on anyway. I mm -hmm. kept sharing the gospel because I know God's word has its own power. Well, I visited her several times. Same result. She was rude to me, put me off and everything. That, I don't remember exactly what happened after that. Nothing, evidently. I gave up on the situation. But here's what I get in the email two and a half months ago. She says, well, I want you to know that after your visits, I started. I found a Bible and I started reading it. Mm -hmm. And then I started going to all the chapels in the hospital. And then I then I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Oh, my. And, I, and then my parents became believers and we all joined a church and my whole family became believers and they served the Lord until their deaths. And now I'm have a Christian family of my own. So uh, this is what a blessing it was oh to hear this goodness, 43 yes, years later. Yes. The point is, is uh, we see people on, on the outside uh, in their ugliness perhaps, or in their mm -hmm. rejection. Mm -hmm. uh, but God has a different plan for them and we may be the one to plant the seed, but somebody else waters it. Mm -hmm. God gives the increase. The scriptures tell us. That's right. Wow, that is a beautiful story and a beautiful example of what we're talking about. Uh, we never know the people that God has brought into our, to our lives just so that we can plant those seeds. And so we, we must always look for those opportunities. That's just a beautiful story. Yeah, never, never give up. Always plant mm -hmm. the seeds. Always. Well, again, all believers are, in a sense, ministers, as you say, but we know that there are some that are called by God to be uh, pastors and teachers. Some are called to evangelism and missions. Let's talk just a moment about those who are called to be pastors. Why is a clear understanding of grace vital for shepherding the body of Christ? I think a pastor, having served as a pastor in different capacities and started a church and planning a church, has to have a clear understanding of God's grace, first of all, towards themselves so that they don't get puffed up but remain humble that not only is there salvation by grace, but they're 
office now that that they now have as pastor is by God's grace. It's a gift mm-hmm. also, mm-hmm. and only if they understand that grace can they help others have a healthy understanding of themselves. And as they preach graciously to their congregation, it will give them security and assurance, and uh, the knowledge that they're accepted by God and by and also accepted by that church. So it creates a whole culture of grace. But grace is also important to a pastor to understand because they it assures them that God will provide everything that they need and they they can't do it alone. Uh, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We can do a lot of activity, but we can't really have spiritual fruit mm-hmm. apart mm-hmm. from Christ. And grace makes sure that we has, have the resources that we need to to help people and to help people when we don't think we can. Um, our sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. And we see that reflected in Paul's writing, you know, when he tells Timothy to, I think, chapter 1 Timothy 5, 1, uh, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, he says in 2 Corinthians 3, who is sufficient for these things? And he goes on to explain how his sufficiency is from Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so grace is absolutely fundamental foundational to a pastoral ministry um it it keeps us uh with the proper understanding of who we are and proper understanding of who we're ministering to you mentioned you've been a pastor in the pastoral ministry for 25 years uh speak to some of the hardships that pastors face because oftentimes the congregation is not aware of the many hardships of a pastor uh and and we as the flock need to be about ministering to them so talk about the grace needed and uh, for for the hardships of a pastor sure uh sometimes the biggest hardships a pastor has is the people it depends on the church and the congregation i'm sure as one of my professors used to say ministry ministry would be great if it wasn't for people but um but let's let's just assume that we have a reasonable congregation uh, who respects the pastor and honors him and treats him well. Uh, I guess if that's not true, then there's going to be problems. But mm-hmm. assuming that the congregation is treating him well and respecting him, there's still difficulties that the pastor goes through. Mm-hmm. He's on a very tough weekly grind uh, to to pump out a sermon every week and mm-hmm. to have meetings every evening or evenings of the week and his time is always very stretched um i i always compare it to giving birth to a baby you work you start on monday you start developing an idea and and throughout the week you're doing your study and you're putting together a sermon on sunday you deliver the baby and you're (laughs) you're tired you're tired you need a little time to rest and recoup and and then get started over again so it takes god's grace to deal with that daily grind Um, but frankly I think pastors also sometimes struggle with uh, just issues like friendships Hmm. Um, they they will have friends in the church but it's sometimes difficult to really be authentic or transparent with with people because uh, you never know when that could backfire on you Hmm. and so I know a lot of pastors and myself included didn't feel comfortable trusting people completely, mm-hmm. especially the ones that come up to you and, and try to get real close to you and say, hey, you can call me for anything. I really want to get to know you better. 
we were, I was actually warned by one of my professors at seminary said, when you go to a new church and somebody really is trying to court you like that, be careful. They're probably, probably trying to recruit you to their cause or their side oh, of yeah. some, some issue. Yeah. So, you know, pastors face this a little bit of a, a suspicion mm. about relationships, which mm-hmm. really shouldn't be. Uh, and the more I think we understand God's grace, the freer we are to uh, have those kind of friendships and just trust God to cover our backs. But I And then agree. a lot of pastors are under this uh, uh, idea that they need to grow a church, make it bigger. It's a whole pressure of performance. There's a spirit of competition out there among churches and pastors, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, grace to the rescue because I'm called to do, I'm called to be faithful, not to yeah. build a big church. And uh, a lot of people, I think, don't realize that a lot of church growth has just simply to do with demographics. It's not always the pastor. It's uh, what, where you live. Is the area growing? And it, you know, is, is it in a uh, affluent area or not? And there's mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of factors that go into that. But pastors look. The big mega churches are held up as models. Pastors look at them and they feel inadequate. Mm, that's so, too bad. That's too bad. Because yeah. there could be a really live church that is not very big at all. Oh, yeah. uh, but doing great work for the Lord. So, yeah. well, that's helpful to know. And I know I've had pastor's wives tell me that sometimes a pastor's family feels like they live in a fishbowl and people are always watching and kind of judging. And so we certainly need to give them grace. Obviously, they are people just like we are. Uh, and so uh, we need to show them the grace that we would show show any of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, yeah. So you talk about the the privileges of teaching and preaching, but also caution that those callings come with great responsibility. Uh, Explain what you mean and how grace, once again, is the key in preparation and delivering a message. Yeah, the position of a preacher, a teacher, or a pastor is a position of influence in some cultures. And maybe not so much in the United States as in other cultures, they're extremely revered and um, and uh, just honored by the people and have such influence over the people that whatever they say is is uh, is the rule, the law. And that's an influence that can easily be abused anywhere around the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why. James in chapter three, verse one cautions people. He says, I'm just paraphrasing probably, but let not many of you desire to become teachers, uh, lest you incur a stricter judgment because teachers traffic in truth and they have influence over people. But when he talks about judgment there, he's obviously talking to Christians. So he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Mm -hmm. We'll all have to give an account for our words and our teaching at the judgment seat of Christ. And that brings a certain degree of humility to me so that I, I need to be willing to say honest enough and humble enough to say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Or this is what I believe, but there are other views. I mean, we just can't be authoritative and uh, dogmatic about a lot of things in the Bible, some of some of the things in the Bible anyway. But our responsibility is to rightly divide the word of truth, and I think God will hold us accountable to that. He says to be diligent. So that means to work hard at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the p- position of influence can always be abused, and uh, uh, leaders can manip- manipulate their people yeah. through threats and, and fear and uh, guilt. 
um, in just a lot of different ways. Yeah, but yeah. we have to let God motivate them. And the best way to motivate them is by explaining to the people what God has done for them mm-hmm. and letting them respond to him mm-hmm. in love and gratitude. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you uh, point out uh, how the Apostle Paul really modeled uh, showing grace before, you know, before behavior changes were expected. Uh, and how, how did he always present grace before uh, giving them guidelines on how to live? Yeah, I really noticed this, I guess, first in the book of Romans, because for 11 chapters of Romans, the first 11 chapters, he talks about what God has done for them mm-hmm. uh, by his grace. And grace uses, Romans uses the word grace 28 times more than any other New Testament book. Yeah. So he talks to them for 11 chapters about what God has done for them. And then, and only then, at chapter 12, verse 1, he says, therefore, so he's drawing a conclusion, therefore, in view of God's mercies, in view of everything I've just told you what, about what God has done for you, offer your body's living sacrifice. Now, it's the first time he tells us to do anything is in chapter 12. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to explain what that means. Love people, use your gifts, uh, honor your government, pay your taxes, and yeah, so forth. Yeah. So he gets real practical and uh, gives us a lot of things to do. But he starts out by explaining what grace is so mm-hmm. that we are moved by our appreciation and understanding of God's love and grace to do what he wants us to do. It's a pattern yes. that we, we preachers and teachers can learn from. Uh, don't motivate people by just telling them what to do, give them a checklist. That's mm-hmm. that's just a religious uh, a framework. Yeah. Give them a relational framework, what God has done for us, and then people will be appreciative and think about what they can do for God. Oh, no doubt about it. And I think about you know people who just come to know the Lord Sometimes in, in some under some teaching, they will hear, okay, now you must, you, know, yeah. you must read your Bible every day. You can't miss church. You might, you know, there's a huge mm-hmm. to-do list. Uh, mm-hmm. What a better approach to just say, just consider God's amazing grace, what he has done for you uh, and all the benefits of being a believer. That in mm-hmm. itself should motivate us to live uh, thank you, lies, as Dr. Anderson always says. Right. Uh, instead, yeah, that's a, that's beautiful. Uh, you know, you, we, there's also uh, that you go in depth, and we won't have time today. But you talk about uh, evangelism, evangelism, and then missions uh, in other countries, and and unfortunately, sometimes that coercion, uh, the fear-based uh, gospel, has been changed. Uh, given, if you will, and it sort of sets up boundaries for missionaries who go in because they're trying so hard to keep all the rules. Uh, how how can grace permeate those countries uh, with the truth of the freedom that we have in Christ? Well, I appreciate the question. That's a lot of what Grace Life is trying to do. We're trying to go into and train pastors who can then reach their people in their communities with the message of grace. But we usually find that the pastors are all tied up in legalism, giving people a list of things to do. Mm-hmm. And, and they themselves admit that they don't even know if they're for sure going to heaven. Oh, it's wow. an amazing, it's amazing thing. Some of them have been in ministry 15, 20 years and they'll admit, I'm not even sure I'm going to heaven. And so, and so their general preaching and teaching is a list of rules and things to do. Um, and they don't know how to deal with sin. You're either not a Christian or you've lost your salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we go in there and we 
teach grace. And we, I usually try to start with the book of John for salvation and Romans uh, also and explain to them grace. And I found that uh, the best way to deal with it is biblically like that because when they see uh, the argument in John unfolding and when they see the argument in Romans unfolding, it kind of takes them down a path they can't turn they can't turn back from they get all locked up in grace mm -hmm. and by chapter eight when you talk about eternal security they have nowhere else to go because all arguments have been smashed and it just liberates them oh, yes. Uh, yes. It, it puts a big big smile on their face and on their heart and 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 they just leave different people if you know most of the time most people get it if we can spend a week with them but we have to go back and reinforce that year after year we find sure. because legalism legalism is uh relentless enemy it just wants to keep coming back i agree i agree you see that often and so that freedom is so important for people to grasp and truly live it out mm -hmm. well in our closing moment um you know all ministry is full of challenges and, and needs that exceed our abilities and that's why we must depend upon the grace of god to sustain us what promise in god's word do you suggest that we hold closely to well, I, I already mentioned Second Corinthians three five through six, which is not a promise, but Paul's assurance that he trusted in God's sufficiency for anything he needed to do. And we also have Second Corinthians twelve verses nine and ten, which I am constantly encouraged by, where uh, Paul was talking about the thorn in his flesh, and and he was saying, and Jesus said to him, "My grace is sufficient for you." And Paul said, um, "My." my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Amen. therefore I'd rather boast in my weakness. Yes. So being, being in a weak position is a position where God can actually give you his grace being in a position of need. Mm -hmm. But I think the most direct promises in Hebrews four sixteen, where it tells us who are believers to boldly approach the throne of grace. So, I mean, with confidence we can come, we don't have to be yes. reluctant to do that. God's got all the resources of, his creation at his disposal, all the resources of his character and power. Amen. So bold, boldly approach the throne of grace to find uh, grace to help in time of need. Mm. So if we understand that grace is a free gift that meets, that we don't deserve, but meets every need that we have, we can come to him for any need that we have. Uh, nothing's too small for him. Nothing's too big for him. It's such a blanket, endless promise. Yes, uh, it is of accessing a God of all resources to find something, uh, grace to help for any need that we have. Amen. Um, and then, and in context, he's, and he's giving that to the Hebrews so that they will continue to press forward in their walk with the Lord. Amen. So I think it can, it can be applied uh, to the Christian life. It can apply to ministry that what it takes to go forward yes. is the grace of God. And it's all available to us. Amen. It truly is. Well, this has been so insightful. Thank you so much, uh, Charlie Bing, for joining us today. And I hope that our listeners will check out gracelife.org to learn more about your ministry and the many resources that you make available. Thanks again for joining us, Dr. Bing. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we hope today's topic has stirred your interest to get into God's Word and learn more about living by grace. We also encourage you to get a copy of the book, Living by Grace, which we will be discussing over the next few weeks. You can find that in all of our resources at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. So glad you tuned in today. Please tell others about Saving Grace. 
And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at gsot.edu center or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.